Hello, I'm John Ryan, and welcome to our next episode in our Work Healthy podcast. Great strides have been made in many areas of the world to build more diverse and inclusive workplaces. On today's podcast, Margot Slattery, Global Group Head of Diversity and Inclusion for ISS, a facilities management company founded in Denmark, employing over 360,000 people, talks D, E, I and B. And actually, to them, the B part is really important as they are committed to being the company of belonging. For many people in ISS, it is actually their first job. The company also attracts a significant number of refugees and immigrants. So we talk all types of diversity from gender, ethnicity, race, age, generational, sexual, disability and others. We discuss what works and what doesn't, how to bring senior leadership on the journey, the importance of data and how storytelling is a key resource in opening minds. I started by asking Margot where her passion for DEINB actually began. I think a lot starts with my parents. So born in a in a farming community in County Limerick in the, the late 60s, I won't go early 60s. And I guess that, you know, my parents had been sort of, um, you know, a generation that were kind of coming through much change in their world because their their parents, my, my, my parents had both been, my father was orphaned very young because his parents had died young. My mum's dad had died when she was born. They were trying to find their way in a world and then, you know, in a world that was really, really changing and in Ireland that was changing because my dad was born in 1928, you know, into a very poor and a, and, a, and, and sort of lived through a second world war and, and the and the events of a very new Ireland. So the reason I talk to that is that I think they as parents were trying to kind of cope with kids who, you know, were coming along and thought very differently and had sort of new ideas. And I guess why it influenced my thinking was my parents were very deeply rooted in the community and very deeply rooted in helping people. And my mum's mum had been widowed at a young age, three small kids, my mum and her two sisters. And she'd been always kind of talked about as being a great neighbour and so had my and so had my dad's family. And we always were brought up to kind of look after people and to be good, I suppose, we were Christians, but we were certainly more community and, and people who did it in, in, in actions. So the, the start of my kind of sense of being almost an activist started right there. It was fighting for, you know, the person in my community where something went wrong for them or something didn't happen or it wasn't fair. And my dad was somebody who was very, um, you know, he educated himself a lot and read a lot, etc. And we were always having kind of good open debates. And I think that started a great sense of discussion and uh, being open to argument for me so of all those things then it's it's more the the justice element of kind of and equality are the biggest drivers for you yeah you're absolutely right john and thank you for picking that up yeah so it was always making sure that the kind of the little person didn't get forgotten and i guess growing up in a in a small farming community you know you have a lot of people who there is a bit of haves and have nots and you you notice that and that that comes to your attention quite quickly in a countryside uh, rural location. So I always felt I needed to kind of defend and fight for everybody. Yeah, I know there's the Irish phrase in there that when you get up in the morning, you should look up and look down and realize there's nobody above you or nobody below you in yeah. this world. 
And and I think that's probably when when you look at ISS uh, being a, a Danish company, um, isn't there a sense in Denmark of this broad brush equality as just natural? But but you kind of question that a little bit, do you? Does it go deep enough? Well, I think that, you know, I've heard my colleagues say that, you know, there's a Danish saying, and I may not say it correctly, but that it's no one's better than me and I'm better than no one. And I would really associate that as being Irish as well. And from my yeah. own background, I think the challenge is that as a society, I don't see it reflected enough in Denmark. I think it's a very good society and it's one of the better places to live in the world, etc. But, you know, things like gender balance, uh, seeing enough people from minorities in senior roles in organisations and that sort of thing. I don't see that lived experience. So I think, um, you know, it's it's not perhaps been challenged enough. And uh, this this century will challenge it more, I think. OK, so from a macro point of view, looking at DEI and uh, the belonging piece, adding on to that, um, do you think the world has got an awful lot better um, are we going in the right direction or are we going too slowly? Well, I think, um, you know, if you were a historian, you'd probably say the world has definitely got better because if you actually look at the past and the atrocities of the past and the poverty of the world, um, you know, and I've been in company and I read this, that it's definitely, you know, there's more wealth in the world, etc. Having said that, I mean, you only have to look at the news or read as you and I do. Um, you know, and it's pretty tragic and we have famine, we have people starving and dying and homelessness is the is, you know, the, the, the big thing right now. And then we're in war and all the geopolitical parts. So if you were taking a view as today, you would say it is definitely a world in much crisis, but perhaps work better in some senses. Um, and maybe my last comment would be that, you know, from a point of view of looking at freedoms for people, I think we have the danger that a lot of things are going backwards. So if we look in, say, more Eastern Europe, it's becoming more conservative. There's a more sort of a swing to the right. Um, people are pulling away from that generosity that perhaps excluded in, in Europe um, after the Second World War. There was a sense of trying to be very fair. I'm reading a great book. It's called East West at the moment by Philippe Sands. And he's talking a lot about Europe after the wars and how you know people wanted to build a better world. And I don't necessarily see that now. So I think we're in challenge with it. It's interesting. You've got 350,000 employees. I mean, that in itself is difficult to get your head around. I mean, that's um, a huge amount of people who may not always be aligned on the organizational view of the world in terms of the whole area of DEI. How do you deal with that as a challenge for an organization? Yeah, you're you're never going to uh, you're never going to bring everybody and you know we're we're not asking people to sort of drink the Kool Aid and be totally um, tuned in without their own thinking and challenge. However, I think the tone from the top is really important. So setting that tone, be really clear whether it's uh, the board, the CEO, the exec committee about what we're standing for, and then really not not ever stepping down on that and not sort of letting go. So if the tone from the top's really clear, it cascades its way down through an organization and up. Um, and I think it's very clear we have people standards, you know, policies around a lot of things. And it's saying this is what we stand for. This is what we won't do. This is what we will do. And uh, never really deviating from that. And I'm a huge believer in the power of that. We all know where we stand then. Mm. And, and, and that that piece that you, you've heard a million times where 
um, your culture is defined by the worst acceptable behavior. Um, I, you know, for, for you as an organization, how do you draw a line and sort of say, no, this is it. If you breach that, um, that's you, you no longer are welcome in the organization. Well, I've seen it happen. I'm, I'm aware of lots of examples where people will perhaps be, you know, they're part company with the organization. So I think it's been very clear and explicit that if you do something, then there are consequences, yeah. but not so much that, you know, we also like to try and think, I suppose, I go back again to my Christian heritage, is to try and be careful that we 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 allow people the chance to to amend and get something right. But there are levels at which you don't go. Mm. So, you know, things like explicit racism, sexual harassment, and I could go on, um, you know, if those things are proven to be happening, then those are areas we can't have somebody work with us. I think storytelling is very important in terms of trying to get people to see things from somebody else's perspective. That, that's something you guys use a lot, is it? Yeah, and um, I'm, I guess, um, you know, it's proven in so many sort of civil life in trying to make campaigns for change. You can't just sort of uh, push something to somebody. You must try and bring them on a journey. And I think storytelling, you know, I'll give a recent example. We just did a campaign for Movember. Mm -hmm. which is all around men's health and, and men's mental health and, and their physical health. And, you know, it was a lot of a lot of men in the organization growing mustaches, talking about their experience, maybe talking about cancer. And, you know, it had a phenomenal output and huge amount of involvement. So it's being making sure that that story means that men are included, but it also brings women on the journey and the same the other way around. So being very vulnerable and open, and we do that with everything we do. So all the dimensions of diversity, inclusion, well-being, lots and lots of things. It's kind of being open to being vulnerable. And we see that in our leaders. You know, they come and tell about what's happening in their family. And sometimes that hasn't been easy for them. But once they do it, there's no way back. Mm. And in terms of looking at the big sort of themes of uh, diversity, what, what would you see them as? Because there, there's people going to be listening to this podcast from all over the world and um, maybe they'll have a particular view and a quite a narrow view of what diversity is. Could you share kind of your broad view as to what that covers? Yeah, well, I think there's there's the kind of the areas that maybe many companies will deal with. If you bear with me, I'll sort of take you through this very yeah. quickly. So it'll be gender balance, culture, race, ethnicity, age and generations, sexual orientation um, and, and disability. And, then, and those are they 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 resonate for a lot of organizations and for a lot of companies. But then you put in things like, you know, indigenous people, veterans, you look at, you know, people who have been through huge trauma. There may be there may be a lot of other areas. And I think particularly, you know, we've not made big progress on, for instance, gender balance. Fifty percent of the world, you know, give or take fifty percent of our is it nearly nine billion people in the world, you know, are, are female, male, and we, we we still don't have that balance in society. So even though that one's been something we've all been working on for a long time, a long ways to go. Same around disability estimation is somewhere between 1.3 to 2, 2 million people who have no, no job and you can't get jobs who are people with disabilities. And I certainly don't see the um, the case for getting more people from you know, different ethnicities um, and race moving up through the senior levels of more what I might call, um, you know, European big organizations. So we haven't made big progress globally. We're, we're made bits, 
but it's 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 slow and it takes a long time. Yeah, because I remember you talking about sort of I, I was sort of saying with three hundred and fifty thousand people, ISS must be diverse uh, by the very nature that you have to. Uh, pull in so many people into the organization. But that was the point you were making is, yes, that front line definitely, but uh, then as you go up th through the ranks in the organization, that diversity maybe isn't as prevalent as it, as it could be. So that's probably a big case for a lot of organizations. It is, John. And I suppose like everything in life, I think it was Sartre said, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you, until you, until you find out, or maybe that wasn't Sartre, but it's seeing things with new <laughs> yeah. eyes. And yes. when we look at the data, there's nothing like data. And so, you know, when you when you start to build the data and you look at every country and you look at leadership and you start looking at the data, the data is, the you know, the facts are the facts. Um, and I think like everything, we weren't probably as conscious of it before. Now we've become more conscious because we're measuring it. Um, and like every organization, this is going to take time because we don't want to uh, become we're going to take somebody else out to, to 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 fit a quota or make it look right. But we need to do the work way, way down and way back so that we're building enough candidates who, you know, we can bring all the best candidates to the to the table. So it takes time. And for you, when you see an organization and they're talking uh, about this area, is the first thing you look at um, whether or not they have the data? Well, when I, when when I I joined this organization or in my last company, you know, the truth is the data isn't perfect. And I don't know that it's perfect in, in any company. It's more the willingness to want to go on the journey. But if there was data, it's something I would look to. So, you know, if you were having a conversation about working in this area, you'd probably go online and look to see what you could find out. Um, and it tells its own story. But, you know, companies, as they start this journey, they have a lot of probably work to do. So, that's not something you'd expect with someone who's relatively new to it. Um, if you were, you know, 20 years doing diversity inclusion, then you you would expect there's a lot of data sets actually there. And if it's less, that takes time. I'm just interested too. I mean, where are we in terms of that line between uh, this being sort of seen as been the right thing to do, the nice thing to do, and uh, having advocates in there who are passionate about it versus organizations saying, actually, this is a business imperative. This is so important for the organizational performance. I think we're probably, you know, 50-50 in the world. Um, first of all, I mean, there's still a lot of organizations who don't have anyone specially doing this or who don't give a huge amount of resource. Then I think there are lots of companies who pay lip service. So, they do nice things, you know, maybe they're, they're they could be they may be accused of things like pink washing or whatever. They turn up at certain things, yeah. um, but do they really do the deep work? And then you have organizations who really invest and do the deep work. And the deep work is a little bit sort of like digging. You know, you have to dig down. There's a lot of digging up and it takes a long time. And then you've got to start again. So you put foundations down and you, you know, if you think of it, the analogy of building a building, you put some sort of foundations and then you build the walls. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of lip service to it in, in so many organizations, but we we see the ones who do the work probably being more successful in the long run. But it does, you know, you need profits and you need people who can see a vision of the future and you need to be able to to bear with the journey because it's not it's not immediate fruits. But, you know, and I know you and I've chatted before around this, but it's the attraction to the organization and it becomes part of the rhetoric and it becomes part of the things that people want to join an organization for. 
And one of the things you as an organization put forward is this idea that you want to be the, the company of belonging. Um, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah, um, and I I love it, John, in the sense that I suppose in its in its corners, it's it's about kind of putting a warm arm around somebody. Um, I think for us, it really kind of comes from the fact that we are, and actually now we're 360. We've even gone up in our numbers, um, kind of coming back up after COVID. But you know, we 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 have a lot of people join the organisation every year, and we want to make sure when they join the organisation, they can feel that they feel at home. And, you know, how do you do that? So we there's there's things where are controllables and, and, and uncontrollables, but we can actually really influence somebody's attraction to the organization, their onboarding, their experience. You know, you pay people well, you make sure they get their uniform or whatever they need, their laptop, their tools, however they need to do their job. And then just make sure that we've got fairness and good policies built in and that we pay people well on time and we we keep them safe and that psychologically safe. And most of those things, I, I think of it a bit like, uh, sorry, again, I'm very uh, East uh, Western in this, but, you know, a little bit like a Christmas pudding or making a cake. If you put all the right ingredients and put it in the right sort of warming atmosphere, you're quite likely to get a good product. And not that people are a product, but the experience is for people and the belonging part is we want people to eventually, you know, maybe say, God, we only came here for a while, but actually we'll stay. This is a nice organization because we get a lot of people who will start their very first job with us. You know, huge amounts of refugees and immigrants when they come to a country, it's companies like us that they join with. But what we've seen is a lot of people stay throughout the whole of a career. And that's because they feel they belong. So hopefully I've given you kind of a sense of it. And we're building this right now. Because I do find a lot of people oftentimes, while they get the diversity and equity, um, they sometimes get confused between the inclusion and belonging. And those kind of things nearly merge together. What, what's what's your view on the differentiation between those two? Yeah, well, I mean, the diversity and I suppose they're each, they're each independent, but they all kind of need to come together to happen. Um, but, you know, you can have all the diversity in the world and you've often heard that said, but if your company doesn't feel inclusive, so you can bring in all the kind of varieties and the mixes. But if you don't have people who actually talk and have the right kind of approach to include others, then nobody stays because uh, it doesn't feel like a good place. So I always think and I use that analogy and it's been used many times. But, you know, longing is when you go to a party and you feel so at home, you know, whether it's a friend's house, maybe you've, if it was my case, you may have had a couple of glasses of wine and you get up and dance and you don't really care who's looking. And it's that sense of, you know, being part of a group, you feel you you belong there. The inclusion part is just about good behaviours. It's really, really kind of making sure that as an organisation, we've built in good ways. It's our culture, John. It's how, how things are done around there. And the diversity is having enough of the mix of people so that when we do the inclusion and when belonging happens, we've, we've also got enough of a mix of people. So it reflects the world we live in more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Equity, as, as I guess, you know, we haven't moved into that stage just yet because we're on a journey here. But it's really looking and saying, you know, where are the disparities and what do we do to help people to get up there? We don't just sort of talk about it as equality. We're helping people to get up there. So that's not saying that we're not looking at that. So example being, you know, we are looking at things like living wage. We've made a pledge to pay a living wage over the next number of years to all our people in the front line, you know, because those are the people who are not perhaps receiving it everywhere in the world right now. 
uh, in every country where we operate in, in every site. We're also saying that we will educate 100,000 of our placemakers, there are frontline staff and are their families by 2025. That may be a qualification, a city in guilds, but something that gives people something they can take away. And then the last part is around recognition. So really building a culture of recognition. So, so those three objectives, we really hope will make people feel they belong. And that sense of this is a good company, I can drive, be who I am, you know, be myself, be somewhere where there's a sense of purpose and bring all of yourself to work. So uh, it, it all adds up and it's very cyclical. In terms of the sustainability agenda and ESG yes. and the like, um, where do you see this fitting in in terms of that? Well, I think um, it's absolutely key because, you know, we talk about ESG and, you know, I'm many times externally and people say, I really wonder about the S part. For me, it's the very centre because it starts with with people at the very centre of it and climate justice. And it goes back to my earlier sort of recognition about justice and our late president here in, in Ireland, Mary Robinson, speaks to this a lot. When we have climate change um, down to lack of sustainability, because let's face it, that's what we're trying to avoid, then it affects people, it displaces people, it puts people out of their homes and takes away their livelihoods and food and creates violence and injustice, etc. So I think it always comes back to that. So I guess when I go back to our three objectives, it's about saying, what can we do as a company to contribute better to communities and the ecosystems of our people so that hopefully they can make better choices about what they're doing with their lives as well? I mean, you know, if you pay somebody 9,500 rupees a month in India on a minimum wage and you pay them 20,000 20, rupees on a living wage, that changes lives, John. And, you know, you can perhaps be able to look at irrigation or not wasting water or not using plastic. Maybe you can start to think differently. Maybe you can educate your family. These are things that can change the way people live. So before we finish, I, I just love your view on, you know, let's say there's people in organizations who are really passionate about this and want to make this happen. Um, one of the biggest things they've got to do is uh, bring the senior leadership on board. You've been probably lucky in your organization in that you've got a a real advocate there at the, at the top, but for for others, what what are the things that they need to be articulating uh, to convince and to influence the senior leaders that this is something that they need to do? Well, I think it, it you know it goes beyond even convince. Uh, yes, convince, but I think um, it can't be sort of just putting up a business case and going, okay, now there it is, and you should believe it. So this is where, as you know, when you look at big social campaigns, et cetera, you've got to sit with people and bring them on a journey. So I often think about it like sort of when I was involved in marriage equality in Ireland, and I remember going out to sort of campaign and we would talk to households and people would start on perhaps not going to be receptive and not going to be open. And you try to say, well, you know, tell me a bit about yourself and your family and getting to understand that they're a fair person and what's your sense of justice and right and wrong. And, you know, and why would you deny me? And, and you know, it goes back to John, the, the storytelling, the role modeling. And so, again, it's putting a lots of bits and pieces so you're you're kind of building the jigsaw. So it's not just a business case. It is lots of elements. And obviously, if an organization wants to transact business in this world that we are now in, I think, um, you know, our youth and, and, and all the different ages and generations and the people we work for, they've got to be reflected in how we do business and the ethics and the values are 
crucial, never more important, I think. And for organizations that you see who maybe go on this journey and make a, a couple of mistakes, what, what would be the kind of the standout mistakes that you could help people to sort of say, don't, don't make that? Well, I think the, the standout mistake is probably the very first one I see is that people aim too high too quick. Okay. Um, you know, this is again going back to building the house analogy. You know, you need to get a foundation right. Um, probably do a lot of it's not clearing up, but you need to really understand what you do now and what you could do in the future, having a clear strategy and putting resources behind it. So it's not a side of desk job for somebody. This isn't something you can do with little um, and it needs dedication and care. And then leadership has to constantly keep this in the rhetoric. So again, I take an example, our own CEO, Jakob, you know, literally every time he does a town hall or something that is coming out as a comms, he will include some element of something, you know, it'll either be International Women's Day, something about race and ethnicity. We might talk about pride. He may talk about mental health. There's always something. So it keeps the top of mind for people. So it's that constancy and then really making sure not aiming too high. I'm a real believer in start small and build up. Don't don't try to sort of uh, eat the elephant in one go, so to speak. So don't miss the opportunity to reinforce that message yeah. all the time. Yeah. So last question for me really um, relates to culture. And I, I'm just wondering, you know, how maybe in the, the past uh, five, six, seven years, um, the whole DEI and B agenda kind of has been a, maybe a differentiator for organizations. Do you think we're at a stage now where it's it's no longer that and it's just kind of part and parcel of the articulation of the culture of an organization? Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's absolutely a differentiator, but it's only a differentiator if you've done the hard work to make it happen. So, again, I go back to you can't sort of, you know, turn up and do things and be at a show or whatever and then have gender pay gaps or have ethnicity pay gaps or you know so you've got to try and make the make the repairs try and fix the leaky pipe whatever it might be um and you know if your intention if it's just intentional and you don't do any actions then it doesn't really you know it doesn't fix in and it doesn't get cemented in um, sorry, I'm full of housey kind of things today. Must be doing some work <laughs> in that area. But, uh, you know, it's the adhesive and it's the adhesive of all the company coming together and help to bind it together. Yeah. And I think that's the that's where it really makes a difference. If you don't, then I think like any other initiative, it'll probably just peter out after a period of time. Our people need to see that we're consistent. And maybe that's the test, John, is that people look, you know, we as 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 people in organizations, we look to the leaders to see are they really authentic? Are they bearing this journey? Was it flavor of the month? You know, are they going to talk about this in two years time? And the companies that stay consistent usually get very good results. Uh, you know, it's um, brilliant to, to chat to you and to see what ISS and their 360,000 employees. I mean, like, you know, there's a huge difference that organizations ma can make in the life of people. And if you're making it uh, an inclusive environment where people uh, get fairness uh, as as part and parcel, I think that's fantastic. So listen, keep on the justice um, uh, agenda and keep driving that forward. And congratulations for all the work you've done, Margot. You've been brilliant. The wonderful work being carried out by Margot Slattery at ISS to create a more diverse, equitable, inclusive culture where everyone feels they belong. 
Join us next time on the Work Healthy podcast when we dig deep into some of the innovative practices that organizations have launched in their journey to create healthy places to work. See you then.